0: So as we start uh, our study today, I mean, we just kind of I'll do a little bit of background information getting us there uh, just if you're new. First is this that Peter writes to what he calls the elect exiles. They have been called to salvation. They are a part of God's kingdom, but they are living in exile. They're living on this life in in this world. and, And when they do that, it's just important, I think, that you understand That that comes with some trouble and some difficulty. So Peter starts with the the book. He calls them that. And then he says, this is the marvelous salvation that we have received. And he kind of expounds on that. He says that their inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's reserved in heaven. And so he's going to talk about this future salvation for these called people. He's called them. He says, you are saved. You're going uh, to be saved in the future. And it's a very wonderful thing. Then he goes in and tells them that there are difficulties in the, in the moment of living in this life. It will not be easy, but they are to live a holy life. And so he kind of lays out that, that foundation of what it means to live a holy life in the present as they await their future salvation and endure hardship. Now, last week we moved into the place where we said, OK, how do the chosen people of God, how do they live? Uh, um, really uh, among one another. And he gave us two commands. The first command was to love one another. And the second was to long for the word. And so he, he says, you're a called people. You're you are living in this present world. There's suffering involved in that. But you're to live a holy life. And then he moves in and saying, like, what does the body do? How are we to live with one another? We're to love one another and we are to long for the word. And those things should be central to the life of a church. When people see a church, they should say they are known by their love for one another and their love for the word of God that reveals who God is, empowers them, all those things. Those should be central to the life of a body. Now, this week, as we're kind of moving in, we're going to say we're moving away from those two, those commands that he kind of laid out to things where he's just saying, this is who you are. And that's one of the things we've talked about this on occasion But that is kind of this balance. There's this balance in the Christian life where when when the writers of the New Testament would write and really all the way through scripture, there would be these statements about who you are as God's people, how you're to live. And you'll see that in first Peter. First Peter starts with kind of who the 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 salvation we have received, all the blessings, what it means to be God's people. And then he, he spends some time talking about things that they're to do, and then he'll pick that back up. And that's what he does here. And he says, this is who you are in light of really in light of who you are or last week. This is how you should live. So you just kind of see that going on and we need to hold those intention regularly. Now, today we're talking about, again, who we are, but he speaks of Jesus as the living stone and us as Uh, like you might say, lowercase living stones. That's kind of what he lays out for us. He says we are priests in the temple that offer spiritual sacrifices. He speaks of us as a chosen uh, race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. All those things are saying this is you are. This is the privilege you have. These are the blessings that you have. This is what it means to be a Christian. Those things just kind of overwhelm us with all the wonderful things that God has for his people and his thoughts about his people. That, that should really be an encouraging thing. Uh, it, it's, it's very important that we know that those things really secure us up in, in what it means to be a Christian and to, to, to experience life with God. All those things, they're wonderful privileges here. And so you're going to you're going to see that. And then he's also going to say, and we have the great, wonderful opportunity to proclaim these these truths about what God has done in our life and how he saved us. Uh, We should be people celebrating that all the time. God saved us. God has made us his people. God, it, it's, it's a sign of, we, we should say, I'm celebrating that. He called me out of darkness into light. It's a great privilege. I, I, I remember, uh, I mean, just this last week, I was thinking about this this morning. It kind of came to my memory uh, about a guy I had lunch with this week who was, who, who's been 15 years sober. And so they threw a party. That, that's something that, like, that's, that's something we should be excited about. He's excited about it's 15 years from where that broken that that bondage to this substance that was destroying him in the same way as a Christian, we sit there and we say that we say, hey, I should celebrate that God called me out of darkness into light. It should be something we regularly celebrate. That's why we gather on Sundays. We are proclaiming this wonderful salvation that we're recipients of. And it should be something we say, I- I'm so thankful for that. I don't, grow like, I-, I don't grow to a point where I'm like, oh, that's not that big a deal anymore. It's something that should be celebrated. And that's what we do week after week. So I hope today that you come out of this thing saying, I am celebrating what God has done for me and for us as a body. So let's step into that, 1 Peter Chapter two, verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Uh, this just kind of starts with this thing of saying, OK, what is the living stone or who is the living stone? I mentioned this earlier, but Jesus is the living stone here. We see really Jesus picks this up in Matthew chapter 21. He speaks of himself as the stone stone. If you go further, you'll actually see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke and Luke. The synoptic gospels are called that Jesus is the living stone. In Acts chapter four, Peter cites this in the book of Acts and he says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have uh, which has become the cornerstone. Now, what he's saying is that he's speaking to these Jewish people and saying you rejected this cornerstone. Jesus is who he's speaking of there. He says in verse 43 of of, I'm sorry, in verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he's saying, listen. In his, in his presentation, as Peter's preaching the gospel, he's saying, you rejected Jesus. He'll speak of the, to them and say, you crucified him. But really, there's no salvation in any other name. If you don't receive this stone, you have no hope. There is one way. And that's what he'll say. And he says, you've rejected that way. And now I'm coming back to you and say, the one you crucified is the only hope for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved so he 's laying out he says, "You who are coming, going back to first Peter, you who come to him, one who was rejected you're, you come to him you 're coming to him, and in that you find life. So what is being built here? He calls him the stone, but we ask like, what is this stone what 's it about? As we move through the passage you 'll see it in, in in a fuller way, but we 're just saying here. That it's the temple. The temple was the place where sacrifices for sin were made. People rebelled against God. They were alienated from God. God had a temple, a physical place that they could come. And they could offer sacrifices for their sins. And they could be reconciled to God at some level. That's what they, throughout the history of Israel. That's how they got right. They had to get right through a Sacrifice. And so Jesus is we're going to see not only as this stone, but we're going to see him as the one. The stone dies. He, he, He died for us. He came so that he set up a new temple. Now, the picture here is of Jesus being. And you're going to see that as we move through the text, the cornerstone of the new temple being built. It's not physical. This temple is not a physical place. It is a spiritual temple. God is building this spiritual temple and Jesus is the cornerstone of that. And all the stones that built around him, they're the spiritual temple. It's very important, I think, that you see that. Because this passage of stones is through the Old Testament of the stone and now in the New Testament. Both of those, all of those are pointing to Jesus as the one who is the cornerstone whereby the new temple is built. just it's very important we stop and say. He is God's plan for all of humanity to be reconciled to him, that 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 he is the only way. That's kind of what we'll see as we lay out, but let's just keep moving forward. Now, how was Jesus treated by the world? Now, here's the deal. The religious world and the pagan world. How was Jesus treated by them? Notice what this passage says. He the stone was rejected. What happens in John's Gospel is and this is kind of something that comes up, it's like he comes in as the light, and the the people love the darkness rather than light, and they rejected him. If you read the Gospels, what you'll see is is really Matthew, who's written to the Jewish kind of audience, in chapters 1 through 10, there's this offer of Jesus, an offer of Jesus, offer of Jesus. In 11 through 28, rejection, 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 rejection. The world, now here's the thing, the religious world, that means there's these spiritual people who are known by all their religion and all their outward prayers and all this kind of stuff. They're known for being real religious. They didn't like Jesus. And those rebels, I mean, so oftentimes actually in the Gospels, the rebels were the ones coming, but the rebellious people, the Romans, we see them participating in the crucifixion of Jesus. The world doesn't love Jesus. And that's kind of what we will see as you kind of think this through. So Jesus is rejected by the world. They hated him. They crucified him. But notice how God viewed him. The world rejected him. How does God see him? In God's sight, he was chosen and precious. God cherished his son. God set his son apart for an amazing task. He was not low in God's eyes. He was not nothing in God's eyes. God said of his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then he says later the same thing and he says, listen to him. Just because the world says he is not my Lord, he is not my king. He is not my Savior. Just because the world says that over, it doesn't make it true. He is God's Savior. God has said He is the Savior that I am sending into the world to save all of humanity. God has chosen. He is precious in God's eyes. Now, you've set all that up to say, how does that relate to us? Peter's point is, I want you to know you're precious. I want you to know that you are valued, that God loves you. Notice what it says. Verse 5 You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's saying about the church, You are living stones. Why are these stones alive? Because Jesus was resurrected and they are connecting themselves to him. They live because they're aligned with him. Because in John 15, where it says, I'm the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. They get their life from him and they align themselves with him. And Jesus gives them access to God. Without him, there is no access. Jesus allows them to be alive and to be a part of God's temple. His spiritual temple. His eternal temple. This temple that transcends anything physical. They get to be a part of that. What are they built into? A spiritual house. This Spiritual house, the new temple, is something that Jesus spoke of with that lady, the woman at the well. She says, we worship on this mountain. Jesus says, oh, well, you worship on this mountain. We worship in Jerusalem. There's coming a day where people will worship uh, the, the Lord in spirit and in truth. They are aligned to Him. They are related to Him. And they are a spiritual house. We are aligned with him, therefore we have relationship with God. God is always dwelling among his people because he dwells with them by the Spirit. It's a very powerful picture here. Sometimes and this happened in, 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 in the Rome in the Roman world. The battle was people they looked at the the, the they looked at the church and said they don 't have a structure. Where is their temple they don 't have a building. Where are their sacrifices they don 't have sacrifices. They must be actually sometimes they accuse them of being atheists in the early church. Crazy stuff and not only that they 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 kind of struggled all the way through um really at different times that they understood these these people, as like, uh, they are so tightly aligned to Jesus that they were like against Rome almost. Because they weren't saying, hey, we kind of take all the gods and grab them up. They said there's one God. They worship him only. That there's salvation in no other name. I heard a, a story about um, William Barclay talked about uh, kind of this concept of, of this spiritual temple. He said there was a Spartan king boasting. To a visiting monarch about the walls of Sparta. When the visiting king looked around, he could see no walled city, and asked, "Where are the renowned walls of Sparta?" The Spartan king pointed to his army and replied, "These are the walls of Sparta. Every man a brick." I think it's important. Like the church, is so much stronger, so much more beautiful than the temple it was in Jerusalem. It is built upon a foundation that's stronger. It will last forever. It is greater. It is more magnificent to be a part of it. All of those things, we need to understand that. It is a powerful thing to be in the spiritual house of God. Gathering. We're not traveling to get to do that. We have access to God as we gather together as his people here, saying the foundation is laid and we are a part of this spiritual temple. Now, they offer these spiritual Sacrifices you notice that in this text I think the idea is offering of one's self expressed in praise and thanksgiving kind of that's the picture here they're offering themselves to the Lord over and over that's that's what they do they they, we live as God's people we get to serve him all the time. It's not just set apart to some certain group of people within our our kind of believing community to get to worship God. We gather with him and we meet with him and we praise him and we honor him all of the time. We seek to do that. So I think it's important that we understand that we are we're offering ourselves to him. Now, you keep moving here. What do you learn about the living stone as we move forward in verse six? He says, I'm laying a cornerstone that's precious and chosen. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, he says. This is a passage quoted again in the Old Testament. When when he's saying that he's building the spiritual temple, the cornerstone. If you know anything about a building, it has to be right. Everything else, if it's not right, nothing else is right. The cornerstone was set so that everything was square and right. And when it was set, everything else was built upon it. They had to do that. It was very important for a building to make it uh, for, for the long haul. The cornerstone had to be perfect. And Jesus is this perfect cornerstone. Now, you notice here, what can those who have believed be assured of then? And this is just important. Those who trust in the cornerstone will not be put to shame. Now, listen. These people in the early church were struggling like they had all kinds of trouble and trials and tribulation for following Jesus. People were calling them all kinds of stuff they, they, because they were not accepting all the gods of the land. All of those, the, the suffering was great for them. And here, I think it's important that you see that he is saying those who put their trust in the cornerstone will not be put to shame. They may experience great shame and alienation in this life. But God, they are precious in God's eyes and they will not be put to shame. This is also important. The honor that God gives his son because we are united to him, we too receive honor. He is exalted. We will be exalted. So I think it's important that we see that. That's kind of what's presented here now. They're just keep on moving, verse 7 and 8. What will happen to those who fail to believe in the living stone? This is very important. Because in our world, there, there is a little bit of like, there's a lot of ways. It's cool if you just kind of, man, we'll just figure it out. You can have your way. I'll have my way. Again, just like it was in the Roman world, Christianity was kind of difficult for people to take. Because they were saying, look, there's all these gods. You want to throw Jesus in among them? That's cool. That's what people wanted to hear. And he is saying the, the, the early church suffered because they said, no, there are no other gods. There is one God and there is one savior and there is one hope and there is one way to access. There's one. And when they did that, it alienated them from the world because the world said, no, multiple ways. And they had to proclaim, no, there is but one way. Notice what he says here. And that is so important that you see that. Those who do not accept him. The honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. The rejecters stumble. They stumble because the gospel comes. They hear it. They reject it. And they have no hope. They willingly do that. Certainly, there's, there's a picture here of them being destined to do it. There are those who will reject. That In God's providence, we know all of His plans are taking place and coming together. But these people are actively rejecting. They are willingly rejecting the gospel. They heard it. They would not receive it. And when the apostles preached and said there is salvation in no other, they turn their backs away from Christ and they will be damned. That is a shocking message to our world. No one wants to hear that. I don't even want to say that, but that is the reality. And I think we have to go around and speak to people. We are calling people everywhere to believe this gospel message that God has sent his son into the world to die for our sins so that if we believe in him and trust in him as our only hope, we will be saved. And if we reject him, we will be damned. This is a great passage of saying, listen, you who believe you have hope you do do not believe there is no other way. Now, verse nine. What else do we learn about those who believe in Christ? Look what he says. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. These are a series of Old Testament pictures. You know what? Each one of these are in the Old Testament. Spoken to Israel. A lot of times people will say. You know what? Israel are God's chosen people. What Peter is saying here. You. Speaking to the church. Are God's chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. He's picking up all those passages and applying them to the church. I'm going to give you one other example, just because I want you to put this together like some of this stuff today is a lot more. And I know it's 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 a lot of stuff going on because you got to think through what's what is he trying to communicate? But I just want you to understand this. God spoke of Israel, and this would be another example here of Him saying, applying something to the church. God spoke of Israel and He said, you are my chosen son or or beloved son. He spoke of them in that kind of way, in that lingo where He says, they're His firstborn, I think is the way it's presented. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, God says, you are my son. When He speaks of of, of Jesus, like He is God's son. And then we'll see, uh, we are sons of God, the church. I think this is kind of something you see over and over through is that God is showing his plan. It's unveiling. And you're saying, I'm seeing little pieces of it. And so we saw in Israel his chosen ones. And then we see Jesus is like the true Israel, the one that is chosen of God, that's faithful to God. And then we go forward and we say, hey, we're the new Israel, the church comprised of Jew and Gentile from every tribe, tongue and nation because we're aligned to Jesus. We see that kind of All the way moving through. So when Peter says, You're a chosen race, he is speaking to the church and he's helping them see that you are are experiencing all the promises of God that have been given all the way through. You're a new race of people, you're a chosen race. There's something about we're like a new humanity that that Jesus has brought us together and we are this new family, this new people. Once we were not. And now we are. That's kind of what you see. Once we were separated, now we've been brought near to Him. The idea of being a chosen race is, is this picture of really, it's chosen for salvation. That's what you see throughout the scripture. We have been chosen for salvation as a new humanity made up of people from all over the world. We're also a royal priesthood. This has the idea of being set apart. To God God is the king of the universe and we're serving in his temple, in his place. We're dwelling with him. So we're this royal priesthood set apart to serve God through obedience to him from all the nations of the earth. Distinct. We are the king. We, we really we serve the king in his house. We're a holy nation. This this kind of has the idea holiness can mean like purity, but also means just distinct. God has set apart his people as a holy people it's very important it certainly would lead to more of 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 living a holy life but just as a a starting point we say he has set apart his chosen people as his people and then he's a we are people for his own possession have you ever heard someone say if your house burned down what what would you get out of your house like what would be the one thing that you would get? I always tell Anna, I get it, I get it like my computer and she's like, oh, okay. are you serious? Uh, or external hard drive, but I have that somewhere else, so it's all good. But anyway, I'm not really tied to a lot of things, but um, y'all know Rick Ashley here. He uh, he had a fire one time and his cabin was burning and he had some time to run in and get some stuff. And so he ran in and grabbed some guns and ran out and he ran in again. Anyway, he ran in a couple of times. He said that last time he had this full body stuffed uh, mountain lion, and he said uh I was about to leave him in there and he looked up at me I and mean, he looked down at me and I looked up at him I was like I can't do that he grabbed that dude and ran him out <laughs> anyway when I went to see him that big mountain lion was sitting up there on top of the front of his truck and I was like I'm glad he did that that was awesome but <laughs> it was it was one of those possessions you know like he valued those it, it's it's a uh, he may have left sky in there you know no Over that mountain line now. But here's the thing. I think we we say when he says, like a people for his own possession, God owns the whole world. God owns everything, he created everything. But his people are precious to him. They are like what the scripture sometimes called the apple of his eye, like that, that picture of just the very special thing to him. Romans 5, 8 says it, but God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his son for his people. Some some people think that and I think it's just a misunderstanding of scripture. They think that somehow we could be God could lose us in some way. Or that we, we could like come in and out of his love. I, I don't think that's what you see over and over. He says you're chosen. You are loved. You are precious. I'm going to send my son to die for you. We are so precious to him that he would send his son to die on the cross for us. Th- that, that brings a lot of security. Listen, God wants his people to be secure. Did you know that he says, you're a part of my family and I've done everything to rescue you, to keep you, to hold on to you. You're not going to be lost because you're living in a fallen, broken, sinful world that is against you. It hates you. It hates Christ. It is against us. But you're I'm not, I'm for you. And in all of the darkness and the pain and the suffering, you need to hear that. I am for you. I am with you. I'm keeping you. I'm holding you. I'm sustaining you. I'm going to set you on a foundation that will keep you to the end. Over and over and over and over again. God is saying, listen, I am keeping my people. They are secure. We need to hear that. We need to know that. Know his love that just transcends Knowledge. It's what he says in Ephesians. That it goes beyond our comprehension. The love God has for us. That is shocking. That is comforting. That is affirming. That is keeping us to the end. And people that secure. People that are that secure. What are they to do? They are to proclaim the excellencies with joy. Joy. They do that happily. The excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once we were deaf and blind to the things of God. And He's called us out. He's opened our eyes. He's opened our ears. He's made us understand. We were in the slave market of sin. Just destroyed. Being destroyed in our sin. And He comes and rescues us out. And we just want to spend our lives spending our lives speaking of the wonder of our salvation. We should want the whole world to know. And if you don't understand that and you want to get it even further, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And forever God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. Not to lose it, but He secured it. This this nails down for us over and over that we were alienated from God outside of his mercy, condemned to death, looking towards a future of being damned forever. And God extended mercy to us to rescue us from our sins. So what do you what do you do with all this? Man, there's a lot of Old Testament imagery. I was thinking this week, if you're new to the Bible, you'd think good night like this is just too much. It is almost too much. It is so, listen though, here's the amazing thing. It's too much for your mind to comprehend the wonder. You get that? The wonder of God's salvation for his people. You will never get it. Some of you may say, I've read this theology book and that theology. I've got this theology down. I understand. Listen, you'll never get it. It's like one of the famous theologians, they asked him one time, what's the greatest truth that you've ever learned? And he said, it was what I learned from my mom as I was sitting on her knee. And she said, it was Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That's what this is about. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of all kinds of things, God loves his people. He loves them so much they could never get it. It's incomprehensible. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ that's with us, that we've experienced, that we know. And people that know that want to proclaim it. We are a secure people. We have been saved by an amazing God. So we get out of this today, not only that, we say trusting in Jesus is the only way to gain standing with God. I think it's important to say if you fail to trust in him, you will be lost eternally. Third, I would say Jesus, the living stone, was rejected in the present, but exalted by God. And you know that suffering will come for the believer, but you too will be exalted. I think the next thing I would say is the church is this, the new Israel with all the rights and privileges and blessings Of being God's people. You are his treasured possession. Just kind of laying out a few more things. Fifth thing I would say we serve the Lord by proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. We do so with our words and our actions. We are to put on display for the world what it means to be God's people, what it is to know his salvation. What it is to experience His mercy. That's why we are to display to people the grace and the mercy that was given to us. We are to lavish people with that. We are to be known by the most merciful, kind-hearted people on the planet. We say, look what we've received. I want to give. I want to give it. I want to serve other people with it. The last one is this. The gospel... Is a gospel of grace. Tim Keller says the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves. Than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time. We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ. Than we ever dared hope. Let's pray. Father we are so amazed at the joy that comes through someone who knows that they've been forgiven, that they've been brought into the family, that they've been saved. Not by our own strength, not by our own obedience, but saved by the power of God. We've been saved because Jesus died for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. We're so grateful that we are your children. That we have a future. That we are secure. That we have been blessed. And I just pray, Father, for our church, that we would be people known by our love for you and amazement of our salvation and known by our love for others as we declare the wonder of our great God. Make that true of us in Christ's name, Amen. If you would stand.